Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. The term bad conscience, schlechte Gewissen in German, is in the very title of the second essay of Nietzsche's Genealogy of Morals, so you can expect that it is going to be a centrally important concept. And Nietzsche is discussing conscience at several different points, and I think it's important to begin by noting where he's talking about conscience without calling it bad conscience. And this is early on in the work in chapters two and three. He asks the free person, right? The person who has a measure of value looking out on others from himself. He honors or despises. He also holds himself to something, right? He says, what do we call this dominating instinct? Supposing he feels the need to give it a name. The answer is beyond doubt. This sovereign man calls it his conscience, gewissen, right? So, being aware of oneself as a self that has obligations, that can promise, that has an agency. And Nietzsche goes on in section three to say his conscience. It is easy to guess that the concept of conscience that we here encounter in its highest, almost astonishing manifestation has a long history and variety of forms behind it. To possess the right to stand security for oneself and to do so with pride, to possess the right to affirm oneself, this is, he says, a ripe fruit, right? But also a late fruit. So this is something that we grasp as people in, in modernity. And he might say that this was running throughout antiquity, the Middle Ages, early modernity as well. But it's not there necessarily in human prehistory. Instead, there's a whole variety of forms of conscience. And we want to think about this thing that we call bad conscience in, in a very broad sense. Schlechte, right? Bad, not necessarily in terms of being uh, the common person's thing, because as we're going to see, it's not really a commoner's prerogative at the start, although perhaps uh, with culture spreading, it becomes so with the bourgeoisie, right? In you know early modernity and, and beyond. And it's connected with this issue of guilt. It's also connected with punishment. It's connected with all sorts of other things, but it can be understood in its own terms. And Nietzsche only really approaches this on its own ground in section 16 and onward. And, and it very quickly veers into a discussion of gods and religion that we're going to skip over here. So in the beginning of chapter 16, he says, at this point, I can no longer avoid giving a first provisional statement of my own hypothesis concerning the origin of the bad conscience. And he says, it may sound strange, but I regard the bad conscience as the serious illness that man was bound to contract under the stress of the most fundamental change he ever experienced. And what is that fundamental change? When he found himself within the walls of society, and peace. So when things were actually working for human communities, then the bad conscience emerges in its fullness. But it actually emerges even earlier than that when peace is being imposed by war, when one form of conflict is giving way to other forms of conflicts as well. And so what is his hypothesis? He says the bad conscience has its origin in repressed 
instincts, in drives that human beings have. And it's a particularly, it's a disease, he's saying, that's particularly targeted at the powerful, at the people who have greater instincts, greater drives, a greater wish to dominate, to express what he's calling here their instinct for freedom. And so tell, here's a, some, some examples of it. He says that um, all instincts that don't discharge themselves outwardly turn inwardly. So what happens? Well, the man who, from lack of external enemies and resistances, forcibly confined to the oppressive narrowness and punctiliousness of custom, impatiently lacerated, persecuted, not at, assaulted and maltreated himself. This animal that rubbed itself raw against the bars of the cage as one tried to tame it. This fool, this yearning and desperate prisoner became the inventor of bad conscience. And where did they invent it? In themselves, in how they're dealing with this. So it stems from the condition of the noble, of the powerful within the confines of something new, the state, the political organization. And here we have to talk about how this actually happens. So he tells us that, this is in section 17, the welding of a hitherto unchecked and shapeless populace into a firm form was not only instituted by an act of violence, but also carried to its conclusion by nothing of acts of violence. The oldest state appeared as a fearful tyranny, right? And you might say, oh, that's great for the masters, right? They all have their place in tyrannizing everybody else. Not exactly. So he goes on and he says, I employed this word state. What does it mean? Some pack of beasts of prey, a conqueror and master race, organized for war and with the ability to organize, lays its terrible claws upon a populace, perhaps tremendously superior in numbers, but still formless and nomad. This is how the state began on earth. Didn't begin with a contract. It didn't begin with, you know, some election. Instead, he who can command, who is by nature master, who is violent in act and bearing, they are the ones who impose. And he calls these the most involuntary, unconscious artists, right? He says, wherever they appear, something new arises, a ruling structure that lives, in whose parts and functions are delimited and coordinated, in which nothing, whatever, finds a place that has not been assigned a meaning, right? And so we've got these noble people, an aristocracy, imposing themselves upon others. Now, you know, is this a very plausible explanation of the origin of the human state? Uh, you know, the story's more complicated than that, but obviously power dynamics do play an important part in it whenever we look at things. And, you know, this is important. So within the imposition of the state, the development of the state, what we have is those who are strong, those who exhibit their freedom through violence, they impose upon others, they impose upon themselves as well form and he goes on and says these people don't know what guilt responsibility or consideration are these born organizers they exemplify that terrible artist egoism right that imposes upon others it is not in them that the bad conscious develops that goes without saying but it would not have developed without them so these people who organize who impose from the top they create the bad conscience not so much in themselves but in their fellow nobles. In all of those who are then required to become part of the apparatus of the state, of the culture, who aren't the king, who aren't the great war leader, but are subordinates in certain ways. 
So he goes on and he says that it's the same active force that is at work on a grander scale in these artists of violence and organizers who build states and on a smaller and pettier scale directed backward into the labyrinth of the breast, which creates for itself a bad conscience that builds negative ideals. So the instinct for freedom, right? The instinct for freedom, which he tells us is in his language, the will to power, this is a central Nietzschean concept, gets repressed and turned inward by these people who are part of the aristocracy. They're not commoners, but they're not the absolute rulers, the shapers. And instead, they can only work within and upon themselves. We've already encountered one group of people like this, the priests, right? Nietzsche doesn't talk about the priests here. He's talking about others within this warrior class who are also developing something within themselves. So he goes on and he tells us that this is an active bad conscience that's being developed. He also uses this term internalization to discuss this turning inward, for innerlichung, right? A going inside of oneself. And he's got something really interesting to say here about this internalization of the human being, right? An animal soul that turns upon itself. Going back to this part in, in section 16, all instincts that do not discharge themselves outwardly turn inward. This is what I call the internalization of man. Thus it was that man first developed what was later called his soul. The entire inner world, originally as thin as if it were stretched between two membranes, expanded and extended itself, acquired depth, breadth, and height in the same measure as outward discharge was inhibited. Those fearful bulwarks with which the political organization protected itself against the old instincts of freedom, the fact that the strong want to be strong, right? They want to exert their will to power on other people, but it's being hemmed in. What happens? They develop interiority. You know, he says, brought about that all these instincts of wild, free, prowling man turn backwards against man himself. Hostility, cruel joy in persecuting and attacking in change and destruction. All this turned against the possessors of these instincts. That is the origin, he says, of the bad conscience. So this is something new, right? An animal soul turned against itself, taking sides against itself as he says. And there's a long passage in section 18 where he talks about this burning a no into oneself. This is actually quite interesting here. So he tells us that this instinct of freedom is the material upon which the form giving and ravishing nature of this force vents itself, man himself, his whole ancient animal self. So the self is working upon the self. If I can't break things, and do all sorts of crazy stuff externally because I'm hemmed in because the king's watching me and I'm part of his military force. I'm going to do it to myself. I'm going to do it inside is what's going on here, right? So he says that what, what's happening here is that this secret self-ravishment, this artist cruelty, this delight in imposing a form upon oneself as a hard recalcitrant suffering material and in burning a will, a critique, a contradiction, a contempt, a no into it, this uncanny, dreadfully laborious, a joyous labor of a soul voluntarily at odds with itself that makes itself suffer out of joy and making suffer. This is the entire act of bad conscience. 
right? This is what allows us to become something new, become something in certain respects greater, but also more tortured. And like he says, there is a delight in this, a delight in imposing order upon oneself, a delight in making parts of oneself go along with other parts of oneself in this reflexivity that it involves. There's even a, a kind of beauty, he says, involved in this as well. He says, there's an abundance of strange new beauty and affirmation. What would be beautiful if the contradiction had not first become conscious of itself? If not, the ugly had not first said to itself, I am ugly, and then decided to change that. So he tells us that this suggests an ideal, a kind of beauty, and self-sacrifice is connected with this. The beauty and the joy derives from cruelty to oneself. So this is the, the origin of the bad conscience. There's one other thing that Nietzsche says about this that's particularly important. Just like earlier in essay one, when he talked about with the figure of the priest, the human being becomes an interesting animal. Something similar is happening here. He mentions in section 19, the bad conscience is an illness, but illness as pregnancy is, is illness meaning that something new is coming about because of it. And he tells us what this is in section 16. He tells us that this animal soul turned against itself, taking sides against itself, is something so new, profound, unheard of, enigmatic, contradictory, and pregnant with a future that the aspect of the earth was entirely altered. Because human beings bring this about, we change the nature of the earth itself and the human being's position within it as an animal, as a new kind of creature. He says, indeed, divine spectators were needed to do justice to this, right? From now on, man is included among the most unexpected and exciting lucky throws in the dice game of Heraclitus's great child, as he called Zeus or chance. Human beings give rise to an interest, attention, a hope, almost a certainty, as if with him something were announcing and preparing itself. So this guilty conscience, this bad conscience that now develops within human beings that gives us a, a, an additional interiority, the capacity to work upon ourselves, to be cruel to ourselves, to demand of ourselves, it makes us a different kind of creature that can now do things that are otherwise impossible within the animal kingdom. And he closes on saying, as if man were not a goal, an endpoint, but only a way, an episode, a bridge, a great promise. This is a sort of, you know, hint about the ubermensch, the person that the ordinary person, the human being is just a bridge to. And that's where that section essentially leaves off. So is bad conscience a thoroughly bad thing? Well, not exactly. It makes us a more interesting kind of creature, according to Nietzsche. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.